everyone and welcome to the second part of the first episode of Change Making Women. My name is Ziada Baid and I live in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, together with Marianne Clements who lives in London. We are making this podcast for women who want to make a difference in the world. Our aim is to be topical and thought-provoking, to trust that change is possible. So if you're a woman who's trying to make change happen, we're talking to you. In the second part of our first episode, I'm going to be asking Marianne about her latest projects, including her passion for Nia and the community she's about to launch for women who want to make a difference. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Good, good, thanks. So I talked over the, you know, over the week and you told me that you had a class um, of Nia. Talk to me about it. That's yeah. quite interesting. Yeah. What is Nia? Yeah, okay. So it's a, it's a, it's a, so it's a Swahili word, isn't it? Yes, it sounds, <laughs> and in fact, it sounds like someone's name. Oh, someone's name. Not, what about Nia? Nia Young was like my, my chance or something, right? My opportunity or... How would you yeah, translate if you put Nia? it that way, it's like your... Nia is like um, your intent. Intent, yeah, yeah, that's yes, right. Intent. Okay, your intent. Yes, but a, a, a lot of people also use it as um, someone's name. Okay, yeah, it's sure. yeah, it's a it's a girl's name. Yeah, mm, it's quite a nice name actually. Anyway, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. So um, I discovered Nia when a friend of mine, who's actually in the states in Texas, um, I was talking to her about how I used to love to dance when I was a little girl. And uh, I used to go actually to ballet and tap classes, which were tap classes. Tap, yeah, and ballet. Wow, I know uh-huh. you didn't know that, right? <laughs> I did not know about tap classes. No, interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I did that when I was like quite small. There was I lived in a little village, and uh, there were there were classes, and that was kind of a thing that you did. You know, it's like everyone's mum signed them up, and it was like after school, and I loved dancing. But at the time, it was like, you know, if you wanted to carry on with ballet, you had to really be, A, very disciplined, which wasn't really my style. And ballet is a very disciplined kind of dance. And also a certain size and shape, which was quite short. And at the time, I was on the tall side, although I sort of stopped growing later, so I'm not so tall now. But, and also, you know, quite maybe skinny. You know, the, a ballerina is a petite thing, and I wasn't really that at all. I never really have been. So it was like, you know, that ballet, it was a, a thing where if you carry on with it, you have to kind of be a certain way. And so that wasn't really happening for me. And so I sort of, you know, dance really didn't really happen apart from discos and nightclubs and all that kind of thing and the occasional, you know, fun, but, but not really. And I'd all, but I'd always kind of loved to dance, but I lost it over the years, really, apart from, you know, nights out. And uh, I was talking to a friend about it, and she said, oh, you should try this thing. There's a studio where she lives that's dedicated to Nia, which is actually run by one of the trainers. And um, she was like, you try this thing, Nia. So I go on the internet, and I'm like, Nia, what's this thing? Oh, it sounds like this Swahili word, and what is it? And um, I find out that um, it's set up by someone in America. So, I mean, they, I don't think they knew that it, that it meant that in Swahili, although it's quite, a good, it's quite a good word for it to be, really. But... Um, I'll come back to that in a minute, but um, I, w- I go across London, like on take like two, three trains to find a class, 
and I go and I'm like, oh, I kind of like this. It's, it's nice music. And it's like, it's not so structured. It's like, it's, there's a freeness to it. There's a routine, but it's kind of free and it's just kind of fun and it feels really good afterwards. So I go to a few more classes and I'm like, hmm, I think I want to find out if I could do this, you know, a bit more. And, um, and also because there's not a class near me, it's a bit of a stress going to these classes and it's a bit of a hassle. So I find that there's a trainer in London and I go to her class one day and I meet her. In fact, I'm in her class. I don't even necessarily tell her what I'm thinking, but I'm in her class and I'm like, I want to do this. <laughs> this is great. I love it. I love it. So I signed up to do a training with her um, and it was, I did that in 2013, so about three years ago. And, um, and basically that it, it's kind of an intensive training and then you can teach it, they do it like belts, a bit like judo and those other kinds of things. So there's like the one I've done is white belt, which is the first one. And there are more. But the white belt is, is good enough to teach um, because it's quite an intense training. And what they actually really train you in is like, um, it's something like how to um, really be in your body and follow your body. So instead of like dancing so that you sort of maybe look good or do the right moves or in an organized uh, particular way, like in ballet, it's like a really freeing thing. So you're, they train you to follow your body, basically. So do movements that feel comfortable and pleasurable and fun. And so, so, so is, it, uh, is it like Ngoma here in Tanzania? Do you know how, how you know, they just go with the with the drums and you know so whatnot there's, is it there's almost similar to our traditional an, dancers in Tanzania so there's an element of that sense of following the music yes and basically the people that set it up were originally they were aerobics instructors and they found that a lot of their students and other teachers and themselves were getting injured with like high intensity aerobics that was just like burn, 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 you know, let me get fit, burn calories, you know, jump as high as I can, do whatever. And they wanted to find something that was more basically kind to your body. And they investigated various things. So different styles of dance, different styles of more Eastern um, stuff like Tai Chi, which is about, you know, around energy and then like yoga and things. So they investigated lots of things and they put together this thing that they called Neo, which originally stood for non-impact aerobics, but it's not really like aerobics anymore. And what they learned along the way, they kind of got this inspiration about following your body and dancing in a way that feels good and pleasurable. So really what we're teaching in the class is how to kind of be in touch with what you what's good feels good for your body rather than going into a class going because you want to keep fit and then like pumping and injuring yourself which okay is... so so the dance is not about you know you just want to go there and get your six packs no exactly and it will it, you know there is fitness that comes as a result and for me actually there's been as a result of my practice they're doing at home as well as teaching now for a few years um I I used to have quite a bad lower back which I had you know when I was in in university so years ago and um it never quite went away but since I've been doing near it's it seems to have basically totally gone and um I think that a lot of the movements because you're following your body and there are movements that we give people but we tell you we tell the students 
you know, I tell my students, like, follow your body. So here's a movement, but follow your body's way with it. So if that doesn't feel good for you, adjust the movement, you know, adjust how you move to this track. You know, you can feel, get get used to, like you said, like, a, like with Ngoma or something, get used to how the music, you know, makes you want to move and, and, and just feel your way with it. So it's not about, you know, just replicating the teacher and burning yeah burning calories or whatever it's more about learning how to like move in a way that feels good and then you just feel so great afterwards you know you know when you have that feeling like somebody gave me like a comment that it was like um going to a nightclub without drinking or something you know <laughs> like that good feeling that you have when you've really moved your body in a good way you know it's that that's the feeling you get at the end of it but also there's a there's a sense of it that's um very sort of grounded so you just liberating yeah liberating and also really grounded in the sense that you just feel like (sighs) kind of really connected and you know just solid at the end of it and it really for me it's a little part of what I do so I'm I I've, sometimes I've taught two classes a week at the moment I'm just teaching one and obviously because I have family as well is it's a bit of a balance because when I go out to teach then my husband has to look after my son and all that our son so um I'm just teaching one but for me it's a really good balance having that so both doing my own practice to prepare for the class and then teaching it's a really good balance with a lot of the other stuff I do which is more in your head you know <laughs> or online or sitting over a computer and all that stuff so Nice to have something different. And speaking of what you do, when we met, um, you were were working with an NGO that was dealing with the disabled. Yeah. Um, uh, Talk to me about about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm I'm, I'm quite sure that that was like a huge responsibility. It was. So there's, uh, I think, yeah, probably I was working with Ava Child Africa when we met. Um, so that was, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's actually based in the UK, but it's an NGO that works with disabled children and young people in, um, well, in East Africa mostly, so in Tanzania and Kenya and Uganda. And I was the director for, I think, about six or seven years. It's a small NGO, so it's not like a lot of the big ones that people might have heard of. It has a very small um, staff in London, and it works through local organisations in the countries where it works. But, yeah, it was a big responsibility, and um, we did quite a bit of expansion. So when I first started working there, we were only working in Uganda, and we moved to working in Kenya and Tanzania, so it was a lot of travel. And, yeah, lots of responsibility to raise money and, uh, you know, kind of support the work that, really good work that our partners were doing. Um, And they were doing a range of different stuff. So education, which was inclusive of disabled and, you know, disabled children being included in ordinary education and um, sports for disabled young people and um, what else? Some health um, stuff, so um, carrying out operations on young children who had some kind of physical impairment that could be improved by surgery, um, some work on um, eyes that could be improved by surgery, um, and ears as well, where 
um, children had got some sorts of ear infection and stuff that was blocking their hearing, but could, that something could be done. So a range of stuff we supported. But yeah, it was a kind of a hard work. And before that, I'd worked in East Africa as well on uh, mental health, which in, in some ways was, well, definitely as challenging, if not more challenging, because it was more kind of hidden and... Not necessarily hidden, but stigmatized. I should, I should say, probably. So you know, yes, like, you, you, uh, absolutely, you know, especially right? for for um, Africa. You know, I don't know. I can speak for Tanzania. Yes. Such, you know, there's only it's sort of a one way. If you have a mental illness, that that's it. You belong in the hospital and yeah, nothing absolutely. else. You know, yeah. it's just it's almost like a disease. It's not even a condition or something like that. Yeah. And you know, facilities are not even there to, no, that's right. to help you. So, you know, such things as depression, I don't know, bipolar, schizophrenic, those are sort of new terminologies. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. you, you know, you speak and when you talk to people about that and they ask what is that at the end of the day that's just mental illness yeah sorry you just belong in the hospital and that's it yeah and it's interesting because i think that probably depression is more is much more of a problem than people you know maybe realize but and probably you know it's just not it's not necessarily accepted as a problem but i think it's yeah it's um and you're right. There's a there's a massive stigma about it, and there is a stigma about it probably everywhere in the world. But it it probably is a more serious stigma there. Um, in Tan- well, certainly I did worked a lot in Tanzania on it, and you're right mm. that if somebody gets that kind of label of like you know I'm um, or whatever, what, what words would you use? Well, like 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 yeah, it's like just like, like you know you're mental, you're mental, you're cuckoos. And that's that's it, it, you know. There's no chance you, for you. Right? There's no chance for you anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the people go as far as hiding people in their house for yeah. years and years. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. I mean, how working with with such NGOs? How did that make you feel? How did it make me feel? So I guess the jobs that I took on, and they, they, I took these jobs on in like my mid twenties, basically. I think that. Um, I'd always wanted, in a way, to kind of... I would always wanted to help people. It was kind of, you know... I wanted to, to make a difference. and uh, but, but to some extent, those jobs really wore me out after... You know, it's been nearly 10 years of doing those sort of jobs with really difficult issues, proper challenges about raising money to do the work you wanted to do, you know, proper pressure partly that I was putting on myself about really wanting to make a difference and do a good job and all that kind of thing and I eventually kind of got to the stage where I realized so about five or six years ago that I was just really a bit burnt out with it you know and it's funny because when you work in those sort of jobs then people that you meet places who do something different or maybe work for a corporate or have some sort of other career are always saying oh that must be so rewarding and you know you do a wonderful job and all these kind of things but actually you can you can be doing a job like that and still suffer from some of the same things that we experience in other workplaces like you know too much to do, feeling overwhelmed, feeling tired, not sure if you, you know, you're not sure if you can ever get anything done and just getting on that kind of treadmill of like, 
I must do this, I must do it right. And I, I also wonder if um, in some ways it might be sometimes more acute in, in, when people are working in sort of NGOs and trying to make a difference because you put that double pressure on yourself of, you know, you must make a difference for people because that's why you're there and that's what you want to do, and you know? So I finally found myself like a bit burnt out about yeah five or six years ago and just kind of like I can't do this anymore and at the time I uh, so I'd been director of Ava Child Africa for six or seven years and and I you know I'd kind of managed to keep the show on the road and make some big changes and keep raising just about enough money and you know I it wasn't that there was a big crisis so much in the organization there had been a bit of a funding crisis before that but for me personally it was just like, oh, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I'd taken on other stuff as well, because when you do that sort of job, then people ask you to help with other projects, or they ask for your advice, or can you just get involved in something else? So you just, you know, I, I guess I'd sort of worn myself a bit thin. <laughs> so, yeah, there's mixed feeling on the okay. inside. <laughs> Quite interesting. I mean, you, uh, you saying that, you know, when people see it from outside, yeah. like, you're working with an NGO, as you said, it's fulfilling. Oh, my God, I want to do that. And, yeah. that, you know, I want to change the world. I want to you know, do exactly what you're doing. But at the end of the day, hearing you saying that, well, it can wear you out. <laughs> it's quite interesting to me. Yeah. All right, so now letting go, that decision, mm. when you were making that decision to mm. say, you know what, I, I think I've done my part. Mm -hmm. I've played my part well enough, and it's time for me to move on. Yeah. How, you know, when you were making that decision, what, what was going through your mind, you know, what pushed you to make yeah. that, such decision? Yeah. Yeah, well, what happened was that I had uh, had gotten a mentor who was sadly no, not with us anymore, but it was a guy called Bernie who worked also in the NGO sector here in London, but also had worked all over the world and stuff. And um, he'd sort of, you know, it was a, it was a mentoring that had been set up um, for sort of charity directors here. And so we used to meet like every month or two, have a coffee and just chat. And it was kind of, you know, I would kind of chat about what was going on and things I was struggling with. And he would give me suggestions. And he suggested to me this thing called action learning, which sounds a bit, you know, a bit hard to understand what it might be. But basically, it's, um, some, it, it's something where you um, go along every, well, it depends how, it might be every month or every six weeks. And you meet with a group of people and you sort of share your, your struggles and your challenges and your problems in your work. And the way that it's set up, the group kind of helps you to, to, to find your own solutions to it, basically. And through going to that for a, a little while, I'd started to realise, oh, God, maybe I don't actually have to take so much responsibility on myself and think that this is all my things to solve, you know. And so it was partly through that and then once I, um, partly through that and then through a few other things that happened around that time to me personally, 
I when I when I stopped, I, I, I started just working freelance for people. So some of my clients were people that I'd known when I was working in that job. And but I would just take on like a week or two weeks or you know some a small project for people. And yeah. then I and then I and I and I trained in facilitating this action learning thing. So I've also been offering that to other people working in the charity or NGO sector, um, helping them to to work out solutions to their problems and stuff. I've been doing that since, well, I did that training um, when I, I think when I first, or around the time when I left my job, so I've been doing that for a while, and then I've done some other training since then, and what I'm really sort of wanting to do now is really support other people that are working in the NGO sector to really kind of basically look after themselves so that they can kind of because you feel like Mm. you know you get lost into so much work that you even forget to live your own life yeah basically something like that and it's a funny thing in a way because like you said like people always look at from the from the outside and go oh wow you know you work for an NGO you're making a difference you're helping poor children in Africa it's this kind of this almost they load all this like oh you must you're so amazing thing on you but you know your the reality of your life can still be like quite hard work and a lot of travel and a lot of not being with your family and a lot of you know sort of mm, absolutely. personal struggle and so what I'm really wanting to do now and I'm um, working on setting up a um, community for women who want to make a difference which will you know offer them some of these the kind of support I've been talking about so that they mm-hmm. can kind of make sure that they're that they're that they're doing their kind of work to make a difference in a way that's healthy for them and that they are actually like paying attention also to looking after themselves (laughs) so so that means like um support if they're struggling it means like um different kinds of learning tools um it's going to be online so there's going to be some online learning like delivered by email and stuff like that so it's kind of giving people a bit of a space to step slightly back from their like everyday grind of their work you know which can be really stressful particularly if you're trying to raise money a lot or you're you know or the situation you're working with is very you know very desperate or very challenging you know if you're working in an environment where that's unsafe or, you know, that you, you can imagine that, that there's quite a lot of personal pressures on people. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm working towards okay. doing. Yeah. And I'm hoping... That is still amazing work, you know? Yeah, but it's, it's, it's a different, you know, a different slant on it, I guess. And, and and then there is this also there is this notion that you know in order for you to probably uh, for people to feel like you're doing something or you're trying to change something or you're just trying to help out or to assist, you sort of have to go outside your community to do that. I mean, how? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, because it's interesting. Yeah, it's funny you ask that in a way because one thing I did when I was at Ava Child Africa was I looked around locally for an organization I could get involved with to do something where I live because I felt I, I kind of suddenly I, I started to sort of realize like what about people down the road from me you know like 
although um, the perspective of, of England, say, from somewhere like Tanzania is often like everyone there is doing really well. You know, that's not the reality, as you know. And, um, and so I did look around something and I, and I um, became the chair for a while of a charity that worked, a, a domestic violence charity here. Um, in this the area of London where I live um and actually that was really it was really what was it it was really useful to get that perspective although at the time it was probably too much for me to also take that on but um you know with hindsight and seeing what I see now about that sort of dynamic of like doing trying to do everything trying to kind of really you know make a difference or you know just too much but um it was really interesting to have a perspective on what's going on around you because I think wherever you are you can often get a bit caught in your bubble where you actually live and not necessarily see the problems that are right on your doorstep all that clearly because you maybe walk past them every day or they're hidden behind walls in houses that you don't see into or whatever it is you know and um and so I think yeah, I think more and more I'm interested in that idea of like, well, if you want to make a difference, you know, what what about round the corner and down the yeah. road? And I mean, it can start with your own neighbour. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess here um, the takeaway is like if you want to make a change, you don't have to travel a thousand miles no, to make you a don't. change. You know, you can you can just start with your neighbor to make that change if your neighbor needs it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah. you know, not that I didn't learn a lot and have lots of wonderful experiences from traveling around the world a lot doing the work you know I wouldn't want people to listen and think like oh you know I shouldn't have done that because I got exhausted absolutely that's not what we are saying yeah (laughs) I I, you know I you know I'm really grateful for a lot of the amazing experiences I had and all the amazing people I met and a lot of that stays with me but there is that sense of like yeah you know what what how is your neighbor (laughs) How are the people you walk past every day, you know? Um, and, and, and sometimes we can get, you know, switched off to that somehow, just, you know, just by our daily routine or our busyness as well can't we, you know? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you can stay. I, mean, I live in an apartment as well, and I can stay for a whole month, and I haven't seen my neighbor. That's right. <laughs> you know, and they even start questioning, does this person still live in that apartment or not? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then being, you understand how, you know, the, especially the Tanzanian culture is, it's like you always have to say hello to your neighbor, That's you have right. to check up yeah. on them, you you know, when you see them somewhere on the street, you know, on the, the stairs or whatever, you always have to say hello to them. So when they don't see you, it's like it brings out uh, a different notion, a different perspective. That's perception true. sort mm, of you know like uh, they, they even start tagging you like they, they name tag you you learn in Zungu you're like a white person because you don't like say a, hi to me right <laughs> you know the, the, living 
such life, you know, it's not a busy, busy life. Our, mm. our way of living. So, yeah. you know, they, they start tugging you and things like that. But you can only, you can actually only survive it because <laughs> where the world is going, you can be knocking at your neighbor's door all the time just to check up on them. You see? It's interesting actually that you, you talk about that because it makes me want to ask you from your perspective, like, how are those things shifting? Because I know the perspective is often like, you know, say, you know, in, in a culture like Tanzania or, in, in, you know, that, that there is more interaction between neighbours and on your street and people know more about you. And I've always thought, like, that has two sides to it. It's great that everyone looks out for you. And also, people knowing you, all your business can be a bit of a pain. <laughs> Right. Yes, it can be. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree with you. It, 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 it's sort of, you know, it has, it's a, it's a coin with two sides. Yeah. You know, it's great that people check up on you. It's great when they don't see you, they'll ask about you and things like that. But at the same time, they're too much into your business. Yeah. Um, they almost like want to know each and everything that goes on in your life, which yeah. now it becomes sort of, you know, they're prying. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and they, and you know, and once you start allowing that, it's, it's sort of you can't draw the line anymore. No. And then it becomes a problem once you start drawing the line and be like, you know what? It's enough is enough. This is where we, you know, we draw the line, you know, we say hello and that's it. So, I mean, it's a good thing that, you know, you get people, you have your neighbors that care. I mean, it's, it's one big community. So if it's, for instance, a, you know, a, an apartment building, so everyone knows everyone. Yeah. You know, so you, it's like one whole community. And if it's, uh, let's say, if it's a street, it's just a house, you you live in a certain street, it's like everyone knows each other. They know this is someone's house. They know how many people you live in. So somehow it's safe yeah. that people know and you, yeah. you have it. You know, you go to sleep at night knowing that, you know what, even if something happens to me, my neighbor will be the first one to know or my neighbor will come knocking the next yeah. day just to find out how, how I am. or yeah. If something happens, someone is always there. Yeah, and that yeah, would not the, necessarily happen here. It might. Yes, it, it might. Maybe, maybe not. I guess it depends on how you live with your neighbor then. How you live and, yeah. Yeah, but it's definitely not as much of a given as it would yeah. be there. That's okay. true. Yes. Yeah, so, so the cultures are quite are quite different. I mean, some people find it's a bit difficult to say, like, why would you want to know anything about me? But then once you get used to it, you you get that sense of community, sort of. You know, you you get that sense of village village yeah. feeling you yeah. know it's like one huge village where everyone knows everyone yeah dar is, dar is definitely like a big village isn't it yeah. yes ways. it is like everyone knows everyone i mean you can't go anywhere without someone knowing you especially if you're in there so if you live in a certain community they just make sure that whether you say hello to your neighbors or not but they will know that you live in a certain apartment or you live in a certain house yeah. and how many people what you're are up there, to. <laughs> what you're up to, they will know about your business. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So somehow, and, yeah. And I, and it's funny because I, I totally recognize that from my time living in Dara, but also, Exactly. And yeah. I wanted to ask you, yeah. I mean, how, how was that? How was your experience living in Dar? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think if anything, it's even more accentuated if you are, you know, a, one Mzungu 
you know, of course there are others, but there are not so many, right? So, so it's even maybe accentuated that like people are like, ah, you Limzongo, that white lady is doing this or that or whatever. So I certainly had that feeling of people kind of knowing my business. But it's funny because I grew up in a village and there was a, a sense of that there in the village I grew up in uh, here in England, but, and which I actually really didn't particularly like when I was growing up I was like I want to get away and that was one of my reasons for wanting to you know to to travel and I studied anthropology because I was interested in other places and whatever and one of my motivations in that was like I want to get out of this little village because <laughs> I, I find myself living in Darth for a while and it's like a big oh, village <laughs> and only to find yourself in another village yeah where people are like <laughs> that white woman doing now she doing i've seen her here and then whatever and of course in a way you know you can ignore it and you can maybe ignore it more easily as well if you're not if you're um uh what's the word an Im you know an immigrant in the way but um yeah but in a way yeah. you can't because it does affect some things about life right you're not completely free to like do whatever there's some level of you're conscious yeah. you know Yes, the, the, it, it is. Um, and there are some areas as well, you know, there are some areas that are better than the others. Yes. Um, but one thing I know is, uh, you know, you they they sort of leave you alone once they say, ah, it's just a Mzungu. They kind of leave you alone. And they're like, okay, if the Mzungu wants to talk, that's fine. If the Mzungu doesn't want to talk, that's okay. But if a Mzungu speaks Swahili, then... Yeah. Everyone is so mesmerized. <laughs> then you're in trouble, so I was going to say. <laughs> because, one, you can understand what they're saying about you. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, it's, uh, it's just a really different culture. It's, it's a beautiful culture, though. But, uh, yeah, but, um, but sometimes when you live in this culture for so long, you just, you're longing for something different. But in that... And but sometimes when you get something different, you're like, you know what? I think I'm I'm good with what I have. I'll I'll stick with it. Yeah. So it's, it's it's quite amazing. <laughs> and there are things that I miss about it too. You know, there's things I miss about it sometimes. Not just the sunshine, but I do miss that. But um, <laughs> but um, there are things. Tell me, about that. tell me, you miss the food. I do miss the food. <laughs> I do. I definitely miss the food. I miss because everything food. is fresh, right? Yeah, everything is fresh and yummy and pilau and patties and like you could. I could eat that for the rest of my life and like fresh fruit. I could. <laughs> for the rest of my life, like, this is all I want to eat for the rest of my life. That's it. <laughs> and I try my best to make pilau. I chapatis they. They, they defeat me a little bit, but, you know, and make, like, curries and pilaus and things that are a bit inspired. But I do miss that. And um, I haven't really found, like, a proper, you know, Tanzanian food here. There, there, there There's Ugandan food here. It, it kind of touches, but Ugandan food is more, like, heavy carbs and, like, you know, matoke and stuff. It's, it's not quite... It doesn't have the spices of... Pilau and properly, you know. I think the the only most uh, Tanzanian food you find is the uh, the Zanzibari, you know, the rojo and you know the mishikaki yeah, and things you like can that. Get but, that. That's yes. True. By the way, our dear listeners, rojo is like soup. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, made of. It really depends. Some of them make it with uh, wheat, I believe. 
Mm. Yeah, and some of them make it with lentils, so it really depends. <laughs> but it's very yummy. Very you yummy. You have to go. Yeah. You have to go and try it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they, they mix it up with all the mishkaki. It's just a uh, barbecue. Where do I get that skewers. from? Then you tell me. Where do I get that from in London? London. I actually, um, when I was there, yeah, I discovered that. <laughs> um, Backing had Barking. Uh, oh, really? Yes, uh-huh. they they had um, a place called Foro, I think. Okay. Foro, yeah, Foro or Forodani like or something like that. Yes, so they yeah. had Zanzibari. So at the market. Okay. I I was quite surprised. I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, I could maybe take a trip to Barking one day. It's a bit far, but. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, for for you right now, it's a bit far. Maybe yeah? for Mishkaki, I could go there. No. <laughs> So that, that, that's where I, f- I found it because I was kind of craving for it. I'm like, let me just go and find out if I yeah. can find anything Tanzanian. So yeah. it was quite, you know, authentic Tanzanian Urojo and it was really good. I mean, <laughs> the good thing about the UK is you do find lots of different kinds of food here. You know, that so the Tanzanian food is not massively available, but there are lots and lots of other kinds of food. So that's kind of nice. So you never have to just eat the same thing every day around here. If you want to go yeah. out, there's so much to choose from, so much choice. So I can't really complain. <laughs> but I do, I do miss a good pilau, like a good home cooked pilau, <laughs> with some like passion juice or something. I do miss that. <laughs> oh my god, it was really interesting conversation. Thank you yeah. very much, Marianne, You're for sharing. You're so welcome. Thank you for asking. <laughs> and, and thank you, our listeners, for uh, listening in. And uh, please do tune in next time where we'll be talking more about some of our favorite topics, you know, and hopefully that will inspire you. All right. Bye bye. <laughs> And our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown, who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com.